is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dow Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I welcome Talisa Lavery to the show. Tali, as she's known, will talk about how the aftermath of the George Floyd killing in American society has forced it to take a deep look at its racist underpinnings and how corporations are among the institutions being called on to revamp the treatment of Black people. Tali, I am so honored to have you on the show. This is such an important topic, and I'm really grateful for your willingness to get on and dig deep and and talk about this with me. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to you as well. So excited to be here to talk to you and your audience. Awesome. So I I have to announce the title of your book, and I don't usually do this until later in the show, but your title is so compelling, as is the book, and it's called Confessions from Your Token Black Colleague, True Stories and Candid Conversations About Equity and Inclusion in the Workplace. Now, Tali, let me tell you, everybody's talking about diversity and inclusion, everybody meaning companies, organizations, but very few are doing it well. And I appreciate your candor, your authenticity, and frankly, your just frankness, right? To get in there and let's talk shop. So what precipitated this? Take us back. Oh boy, let's see. Um, So I worked as a corporate meeting and event planner for over a decade. And I remember I, before that I was in purchasing and I wanted to change over. And so I went through this fast track program at San Francisco State and um, to get certified in, in meeting and event planning. And I remember telling the instructor, I really want to do pharmaceutical meeting planning. And she said to me, I was the only black woman. <coughs> and she said to me, oh, I'm so sorry. The only place that the black gals ever get hired is at the La Quinta Inn, maybe in banquets or something like that. Oh, my the class gosh. Was fortified. <laughs> wow. The class was fortified. And about a week later, I ended up landing an event manager role at a pretty um, influential government government and business um, organization. I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I'm in. But at the at the end of my uh, meeting and event career, that message circled back around to me. And I was like, okay, I managed to get in, but boy, did I pay for it. <laughs> um, last year, um, I accidentally got placed on an event where Barack Obama would be the speaker. And I thought it was just the highlight of my life and going to be the highlight of my career. I ended up suffering the most microaggression and the most just flat out abuse in the workplace that was this tipping point for me where I just literally had enough and I ended up um, attempting to take my life. Um, During the time that I was hospitalized for this attempt, I had a lot of time to think and I had epiphany after epiphany and I describe all of this in great detail in the book. Um, But one of the things that that was magical was that this young lady gave me a red notebook and I would just write in the notebook, write in the notebook. And I remember writing, I don't belong here over and over again. And I also remember that environment feeling so much like corporate America, as far as the players, there were people that love to hang around the water cooler and do, you know, the chit chat. There were people who played the game so well, they were able to, you know, kind of 
be very phony and befriend the people that were in positions. There were people who loved being there because this place was better than home. Um, and then there were the people that were in authority that treated me so badly. And I personally felt like I could run circles around them. But I had to remember, you know, you are here. You you placed yourself here. Your behavior placed you here. And that's how they would see me. And they were very dismissive. They wouldn't listen. And something hit me and said, they're not going to listen to you. As far as they are concerned, you are not worth listening to. And I thought about that. That was also the case in corporate America. I always saw so much injustice. I always felt that things were not right. And it's not that I attempted to go and say anything per se, but it made me realize that business leaders, CEOs, managers, they don't really care about what you're feeling or what you're going through. They don't really tap into any empathy. It's all about ROI. Like, yeah. Is the client happy? Did you give me what I needed? Um, but what they don't realize and what they didn't realize is that as a Black woman, there were so many things working against me, working against lots of marginalized people in the workplace. And without stopping to acknowledge that, um, they are contributing to systemic racism, the systemic racism that has us in the place that we're in anyway. And so I remember thinking to myself, when you get out of here, you are to never come back into this place. You don't belong here. And I thought you are to never go back into corporate America as an as a meeting and event planner, because just like these people are looking at you, they don't know. I'm thinking I was just in the room with Barack Obama. I had a company laptop. I had my, you know who I am, you know? And it's like, no, because you've positioned yourself in this position. And I thought, if I really want to get this message out, I have to position myself in a way that would make a business leader even want to speak to me. So I decided, and as I was walking out of the hospital, I ended up getting allies and getting to know all the people. And as I walked out, the guy said to me, don't you ever come back here. You don't belong here. And chills just went through my body. And I was like, you know what? I'm never going back. I have to go on the other side so that I can be heard and I can be respected for what it is that I have to offer. And for years, I had friends saying, you need to write a book. The things you go through are just unreal. But I know it's real because I know you're not kidding me, but you need to write a book. And so um, I was like, okay, it's time that I pin my story. And I didn't want to just pin a story where I'm telling sad stories, you know, so I, I wanted it to be something that would offer people solution, offer resolve. Um, and so what I did was, it's called Confessions from Your Token Black Colleague. And in all honesty, it's a bunch of confrontations. And I know that that word sounds scary, but I loved how you said you're just right out there and you're candid. And that's what it is. This book allowed me to speak collectively to the different sectors and groups that had harmed me while I was in corporate America, that had driven me to that point. And so I broke it up into three pieces. There are the actual confessions. And that is me talking to different groups. And those groups are um, white women in particular. And I believe that white women were about 99% of the time, the reason that there were issues. Um, I talked to other marginalized groups. I talked to other black people who were tokens. And then I talked to the white male CEO, who I believe is at the top. And that if I can really get to him, more of him, then we can really evolve uh, more quickly. And people say, well, wait a minute. If you said it was the white women, what do you mean? Well, the white women had the white women have his ear. Mm -hmm. And so this book is an attempt um, to get his ear as a black woman. Right. And so you've got those confessions. You've got personal stories where I go in and I 
just really paint out the story and how it happened and, and what they did. And then there's um, these professionals, uh, white allies and professionals who uh, vouch for what I say. Either they are, and they're all like executives, business owners, partners, and they are either now on the front line helping to do the work or they, um, one lady uh, has worked with affirmative action and worked with EELC cases, or they can admit that they've done things to harm uh, Black people in the past. So it's a very comprehensive look at um, an experience from someone like me. Um, so, so yeah, that's how it, it came up. <laughs> Tali, again, I so appreciate your courage and your bravery. And, you know, there's a vulnerability that you're willing to put yourself out there to say, hey, you know, this happened to me. And, and I believe other women and men are hearing this and saying, okay, she gets it. She understands what I'm going through. But let's, let's get there right away, right? Let's go for the juggler. Because women of color, men of color are still the absolute minority in most uh, corporate work environments. So you identified white women as a problematic group. And I hear you. What do you need to, for the white women to understand? How can they get better? How can they be more appropriate? Yeah. Um, you know, the whole, it's so funny, the timing of this all, because this whole caring craze came about and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so it. And I remember the young lady out in the park um, with the bird watcher. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Karen something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she, you know, she knew, she blatantly said, I'm going to call, I'm going to tell them that a black man, you know, was bothering me. And she did the whole hysterical, like she's crying and she, um, put it out on display, the very thing that I have been feeling and experiencing from year, for years. And that is the fact that um, a lot of white women weaponize uh, their privilege against those of us. They weaponize it. They know that they're weaponizing it. And it comes from their own discomfort. Um, I've been doing my own research and I've been talking to a lot of white women and I've been reading a lot of books, but um, there's a certain discomfort with being around somebody that is different. Um, and... Yeah, they just, you know, I, I always want to say it's subconscious, but it's not. She showed she showed us that yeah. it's not. Yeah. Like, I'm going to use my privilege. And then this is the worst part about it. This is where that whole white solidarity thing. And um, Dr. Robin D'Angelo talks about it in her book, White Fragility. When one white person decides that this minority has offended me and they go to the other white person, 100% of the time. A hundred percent of the time I've seen the other white person just jail and be in solidarity. No questions asked. Forget what's been written. Forget what's on tape. Forget what witnesses came about. Yeah. If my white uh, colleague came, I got your back because and they say that it's this thing of like just being able to empathize with each other and the guilt or the confusion that white people feel. Um, but but my book stops and allows you to think about what you're doing and the harm that you're doing to very innocent people um, that just flat out don't deserve it. And so um, you're already a minority in a group. The, the atmosphere is not inviting. They make it clear they're not going to budge or bend to make you comfortable. And it's unfortunate that um, being a minority makes people uncomfortable. It, 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 that's harmful, you know? Um, so my chapter eight in my book, and a lot of white women, I tell them, I'm like, if you are like iffy about this, you might want to go to chapter eight, get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> then 
again, maybe start at the beginning, get to know me a little bit and understand that my intentions are good. But I really, that's where I make the confession. And I say to, to the white woman, what they have done to me um, and how that feels and how they know that they've lied and how they know that they've manipulated the situation and um, how that hurts and how that is unfair. Uh, Some of them have known that I have worked 10 times harder and they didn't have to, and that they were rewarded, um, you know, while I had to sit back or sit behind. So um, white women just have to um, be willing to listen be willing to be wrong, um, be willing to empathize, um, and be willing to, to, to learn to make the changes. And, and I, fa- I found in my work lately that a lot of white women don't want to broach this subject or they don't want to even go there because they feel like it's so overwhelming. They feel like they've got to learn a whole new language. And so I just like to encourage white women to just take it one day, one step, at a time and just be willing to learn. A lot of them too, they they got exhausted. You know, they put their black squares up during that time after, you know, the George Floyd incident. And then it was like, this is exhausting. I've got to go. I'm like, can you imagine what that feels like every day of your life? Right. Um, welcome to your world. To, yeah. Right, right. A lot of them have talked about how they now feel like they have to walk on eggshells because they may say the same thing. I'm like, can you imagine that being your entire life? You know, um, a lot of white people do not realize how free they are to walk about and talk about in whatever capacity they want to, while we have to constantly be on eggshells, bite our tongue, explain ourselves, watch our tone, make sure we're smiling enough. It That is exhausting. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I, I could go on and on and on. I, I'm truly passionate about this stuff. I love your passion. I can hear it in your voice. Tally, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Your Working Life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. Tali, this conversation is so important. And again, I'm, I'm deeply grateful for your willingness to be vulnerable and put it out there. And the book is extraordinary. I want to help our global audience understand. You referenced some people are give uh, microaggressions. Tell tell our audience what that is. I just want to make sure everybody has clarity about that because it's like the thousands cuts of a, a paper cut, right? And yeah. it's still yeah, 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 yeah. That's like, um, yeah, it's funny you say that because there's an example where, you know, um, a person um, gets a mosquito bite, like a white person gets this mosquito bite and they're like, oh, okay, that itches. And then they look over and they see this black person that's just like acting really dramatic about it. And they're like, why are they acting like that? And it's like, because I'm getting mosquito bites constantly uh you know like it's you know it it's a lot and so these microaggressions are a result of the unconscious biases that a lot of um uh, white people feel and um they what what's happening on the inside of us comes out on the outside of us sometimes in very subtle ways um and so that could be something like oh gosh it, it, it could be something like oh that 
top. Where did you get that? Oh, okay. I used to have one of those back in college days. I gave it to my nurse. I mean, I gave it to my maid, you know, a year ago or something, a very classist mm. um, comment or, you know, um, you know, that looks really good for your skin tone or um, just just a, just subtle ways of acknowledging their discomfort. Um, it's even been things where people were way too over the top and way too, you could just tell it was so fake because basically they may have well just said, I am really uncomfortable with you and I don't know what, you know, what to say to you. Um, and to be honest, I think we're leaning towards a world now where people just are going to have to start saying that. <laughs> and it may not be in the workplace, but you need mm-hmm. to find somebody that you can, you know, talk to and get to know people that are different from you. Um, especially, I think, when it comes to Black Americans, because, I mean, we are a minority, but we are very influential in, in our society. And so, yeah, yeah it's just absolutely, absolutely time. You know, we heard, um, what, what was the guy, um, Ivanka's husband, uh, yesterday? Oh, oh, Jared Kushner. Yeah, oh, he, yes, I know. Literally, in the way that he said it, he feels that. It wasn't that he was trying to be. He feels that Black people don't want to be successful. You know, it's this looking down upon people because it's something you don't understand. And, you know, we just got to start to understand people so that you don't make those kind of ignorant um, comments. Well, you are doing incredible things to make change happen. You are a change agent. You started a coaching and an equity company. So tell me, how do you how do you start to make progress with an organization? Because some of these behaviors are so deeply ingrained. And, you know, you mentioned that classic white male CEO. And, you know, I'm not trying to vilify people, but a lot of them are older and they're just they're kind of, you know, old dog, new tricks kind of scenario that, you know, these behaviors are just they're such deep ingrained they habits. Are. How they're do we change habits? And I've talked to white people that, that have been so honest and they're like, they're like, I'm, I'm mentally slapping myself all day addressing my biases. Mm-hmm. And so it takes mm-hmm. practice. It takes getting to know each, getting to know people. I've recently um, launched a, a very personal uh, one-on-one coaching plan for um, white, white leaders, uh, white male. I, w- I would love to help mm-hmm. them. And it just gives them an opportunity to spend six weeks, an hour, a week with a black woman, a, t- a woman who is familiar with being a token and just allowing them to have a space where they can be open and honest and I can be open and honest. And so they can really begin to change from within. One thing I talk about a lot in my book is that the leader is always focused on ROI. His, like I said, his mind is always on, did you please the client? You know, did you get us the dollars? And so this book allows them to stop for a minute and understand that systemic racism is very much a problem and it's very much um, affecting their business. Now, although I'm trying to give them the empathy, I take it right back to the ROI. Companies are spending $8 billion a year on diversity, equity, and inclusion training, but then they're also spending $64 billion in uh, lawsuits. Lawsuits. Wow. And so wow. there is definitely an issue. We see the the stats about the, the wage gap. Um, we see the stats. We, we see it. It's there. And so um, I have off, I'm offering myself up in my vulnerability, telling all of these very crazy stories and embarrassing a lot of times stories because I want to be the voice or the person that I wish I had when I was in corporate America, somebody to speak up for me. So there's two foes. I'm an advocate for other marginalized groups. And then I'm also um, a coach and a consultant and I make companies better and help them on the other side. So. 
So Tali, let's talk about hiring, right? And and I think we need to change the way we hire in organizations too. And again, everybody's got another website. They they are honoring diversity and inclusion, but as I, I've mm-hmm. talked about with you, it doesn't always happen. So when you're coaching clients and organizations, does that come Absolutely. up so hiring practices? What I try to, what I seek is a very um comprehensive look at a company and we start with an equity audit, which means that we spend 90 days digging into information. Uh, from their hiring practices to what is the perception. We talk to board members. We talk to the the leaders, employees, volunteers, uh, vendors, um, partners, investors. We really want to get a good look at what people's experience is of that company. We definitely talk to the HR department. What are their hiring practices? We look at... um, we look at the stats, you know, who are they hiring? How long are they staying around? You know, what particularly happened? How is leadership run? We really take a deep look into that because a lot of times those, it's not a cookie cutter answer for this, right? And so until we're able to go in and look at the company all the way through with an equity lens, um, and then at that point, we're able to advise on, you know, what they need to do. And we all we offer a DIY plan, we try to, and then we offer a plan where we can come in and continue to work and continue to change things. Um, one of the things that people, and I, that's always there, is that people have this idea of culture. And you'll even see, you know, we want to make sure you're right culture fit. And so my company is real big on saying that your your culture should be evolving as your um, your workforce is evolving. No one should, because a lot of times, and I say in my book, a lot of times the founding members of a, co- of a company, they uh, kind of bully everybody else into keeping things the way that it was from that start. And if you're not coming in and and getting into that, then we're going to get our solidarity together and we're going to get you out of here. And um, I, I want, I let companies know that they're just, there can't be any of that. And the truth of the matter is, again, the stats have shown that diverse um, workforces are way more successful than homogeneous ones. Um, yeah, it may be a little bit of discomfort. It may take a little bit longer to t- come to a conclusion, but you have so many different perspectives coming to the table and um, it, it just it just makes it better across the board. So Tali, I have a question. Again, not trying to vilify white men, right? So let's just be <laughs> candid about that. But there are a lot of issues that we're both in agreement are problematic. But are women leaders of the same generation better? And I don't know the answer, right? I, I, I'm hopeful, but I, I don't know. From your experience, they're is not, there a better ability? They're not necessarily be better. I just put my focus on them, on the white male, because there's so many, there's more. Right. Yeah. Right? yeah. But, Numerically. Um, yeah. Gosh, yeah. They're not better. Uh, in fact, I think they're more harmful. The women are more harmful. The women leaders are more harmful because nine times out of 10, the white male is so stuck on the ROI. It's like, he's just oblivious to it. He can't even hear it. He's probably judging you. Not only are you black, you're female, you're emotional, go away. You know, the the woman takes it personal and really gets into it and really gets nasty, <laughs> really has a point to prove. I mean, the women are the reason that I found myself in the position that I was in last year. The men oblivious, ignore you, leave you hanging. Okay, whatever. They, you know, they're very logical. Yeah, this isn't working. It's a good fit, whatever. Um, But the women, oh God, it's painful. 
they can be painful. And so would I love to coach uh, women in, in leadership? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I believe that I could really right. get some, get some things moving there. <laughs> so I, I have an aspirational question and I'll liken it to uh, my personal situation. My niece is, um, 10 going on 11. Mm. She turns 11 next month. And we were chatting on the phone and she was talking about how, you know, all of her classmates, uh, are what Mm. I would call diverse, right? I mean, she's got Latinx, she's got black, she's got Asian, Mm. uh, you name it. It, And it's just, Mm. this is just the way it is. And nobody talks and now she's 11, but nobody talks about that being diverse. It's just the reality of her young generation. So might we move the needle with the literally the kids of today being the leaders of tomorrow because it's just a more um you know inclusive environment because the world is shifting i don't know i hope i hope i hope oh that the, again the statistics have proven that it's happening whether they want it to happen or not right and so i think that as a leader in this space in this time it's about trying to move that needle as fast as we can i have yeah. So much optimism for my younger nieces and my ne- and nephews because they they just get it. Like um, they'll probably have us yeah. out of business in thirty. 30- <laughs> I don't know. They just seem to get it. But the thing is that the companies that are gonna grow and gonna hang on are the ones that are investing the money and the time to get it to get it. Yeah. That's one of the things that holds a lot of people back. Not only is it just uncomfortable um, because it's uncomfortable, but you've got to make a financial commitment and you've got to make a time yeah. commitment and you've got to do some changing. And so I, you know, my, my hope is that every time I come out and speak to people is that I can get people to consider making that investment and to understand why they should. You know, I wrote a few things down that really resonated with me. You said, you know, we've got to be willing to listen more. We've got to be willing to admit when we're wrong. Mm -hmm. We've got to learn how to be more empathetic and we've got to be open to learning new things. So, gosh, I learned so much from you today. Any other nuggets that you want to leave us with before before I talk about how to buy your book? (laughs) Um, You know, guys, now is the time. If you don't want to dive into this and become better now, then when, you know, um, now is the time. The information is there. The ground is fertile for the conversations. Um, You know, I'm here offering myself up to you, but there's people everywhere offering themselves up um, to create this change. And I just think that you should be an advocate for that. Um, It's just the right thing to do. And then from a business perspective, it's the financially smart thing to do. Tali, I so enjoyed our conversation and I learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you. And your book is awesome. It's called Confessions from Your Token Black Colleague, True Stories and Candid Conversations about Equity and Inclusion in the Workplace. And of course, it's available on Amazon and major book retailers, but you've been very gracious and have put together an offer for our global audience. So tell us about that. Yes, I did not have time to get get a code, but if... um anyone um, emails me and mentions the Your Working Life podcast, and you can email me at info at yourtokenblackcolleague.com. If you email me there, I have um, a on-demand virtual DEI Academy. It's at academy.yumyummorale.com. And I offer a virtual course that has a certificate at the end, customized workbooks you can do and modules. Um, and it'll take you, you could do it in a couple of days. And um, 
It normally goes for $200. If you email me and mention this podcast, I will give you that course at $49. Wow, Tali, that's so gracious of you. Thank you. Thank you. As I said, I've, I've learned so much. I'm enjoying your book and I'm just grateful for all that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And now we're on Spotify. And even better, leave us a review because this helps new audience members find us online. Let me know what career-minded issues you'd like to hear on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And I'd like to give a special thanks to my podcast team, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.